0: You know, our world right now is, it's it's our world. It has been this way for a while, but right now, I think we've had so much turmoil and so much difficulty, and we see so much in the news, um, so much um, content and stories that break our hearts. Like, I think just right now, I mean, for me anyways, over the last number of weeks, my heart... And my spirit have just been grieved at what is taking place in our world. Um, You look at the racial injustice that is occurring, has, has occurred, is occurring, and unfortunately will continue to occur. You look at just, there's just so much. And as a pastor, when I think about the stories of people, when I think about men and women who are children of God, going through the pain that they're going through and walking through what they're walking through, my heart um, is incredibly burdened. Culture right now is in this really interesting place. And as I reflect on it, it's unfortunate, but I realize that culture right now, when you think about the enemy in scripture, culture looks a lot more like the kingdom of the enemy than it does the kingdom of God. And when you look at scripture, you see the enemy described as the accuser. And you look at culture, there's so much accusation. There's so much criticism. There's so much cynicism and skepticism. And and, and the enemy is the accuser. Um, you, you look at scripture and you see that the enemy, the, the Bible describes him as the enemy uh, prowls like a lion waiting to devour. And, and you just feel this sense in culture that like, like, like culture is just ready to jump on you. Like at any moment, something bad could happen to anyone. It's just like the enemy is waiting to devour you. And culture, it just seems like culture is waiting to devour you. The father of lies. Culture is full of lies. You, what's true nowadays? We don't even know what's true. The new, We can't trust anyone for the truth. So I've been reflecting on culture and I'm like, man, this just feels like it's so far off from what God wants it to be. And so when I look at these, These um, movements that are rising up in culture or these positions, these philosophical um, ideologies that people are adopting and attempting to use to bring salvation, so to speak, to to the world our fallen and broken and fragmented world. Like I totally understand, like there's there's a part of me that understands cancel culture. There's a part of me that understands destroying the enemy because our world is just so jacked up. And broken. I'm not endorsing that, by the way, but I understand. I understand these things that are happening as a result of pain. And people are going through stuff and they don't know what to do. And can I just, I'll just say it. Jesus is the answer to all of this stuff. Like we're responding in a certain way because we think it's the answer. And it's not Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. The darkness, the answer to the darkness is the light of Jesus. Like he is the answer to all the pain. He is the answer to all the suffering. He's the answer to all the injustice and all the inequality. That's why Paul told us last week in Philippians chapter 1 verses 27-30 to strive side by side for the gospel. Because when we advance the gospel, all of these things are taken care of. And so the answer is Jesus. And I just feel that so deeply in my heart as I've been preparing this message, as I'm speaking to you right now, church, that Jesus is the answer. And so as a community, we need to posture and position ourselves to to share this answer with the world. And there's two ways to share the gospel. One is to literally speak the gospel, to call a friend or a family member and say, hey, here's the story of God working in humanity. We were fallen and God sent Jesus to redeem us and we share the gospel with our words. And the other way is by being a united church. And this is actually what Jesus himself says in John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus is praying and he's talking to the Father and he says, Father, I pray that they would be one because if they're one, then the world will see and know that you sent me. So the way that the world discovers that Jesus has been sent by God, that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross for the world and he resurrected and he sent the Holy Spirit to lead and guide the world is by the church being united, by the church being one, by the church living in harmony. In our world right now, there's not a lot of harmony. There's not a lot of unity. We're not one. We are many. We are divided. We are polarized. And so as a church, what we need to do is fight for a position of unity. And last week, Paul introduced this idea of unity. And this week, as we continue our collection of messages, walking through the book of Philippians, Paul is going to expand on this idea of unity. And we're going to see what does it actually look like to be a united church, to be united as followers of Jesus, to live in one, to walk in harmony, um, and how do we live that out? Like, what are the practicalities of this? And so today I'm so excited. I'm really excited, church. And I just am believing that God is going to speak to us today. And I want to just in a moment pray that, that God would open our hearts and prepare us for what he wants to speak to us. But we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible on your phone or maybe an actual Bible, you can open and turn, uh, turn there, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read through the whole thing. Then I'm going to take a moment to pause and pray, and then we're just going to walk through it, and uh, I hope and I I pray that God speaks to each and every single one of us exactly where we are at. So jumping in, we're going to read Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1 all the way down to 11, and then we'll explore it, and uh, it'll be great. So starting in verse 1, this is what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by... Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being bored in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the the glory of God, the Father. So like I said, we're going to take a moment right now to pray. Would you pray with me, Jesus? We are so grateful for these moments that we get to spend together as a church. And God, I thank you for how you're leading and guiding this church. And I thank you for what you're about to do in our church family. God, you are about to do a great work in our hearts, uh, a work that is deep, deep down. And you're going to begin to do surgery on us at a core level. And I thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to open ourselves up to, to your Holy Spirit, that we would be open to your voice and that as you speak, God, we would listen and we would respond in obedience. God, we know that church can't save us. Church online can't save us. Great worship music can't change us, but you can. You can, and you have, and you will continue to do so. So God, we pray that you would meet us here and you would change everything for us, whether for the first time or again. God, we love you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's jump in. Uh, I want to walk through the first couple of verses really quickly, and then I want to spend a a bit more time in verse 5, and uh, that's kind of where we'll land, and uh, it's going to be great. But So jumping into verse 1 all over again. Paul says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, oh, and by the way, Paul says, so if there is any, and he's speaking in a rhetorical sense. So he's writing to the Philippian church. He's saying, uh, so if there is any, but he knows the things he's about to list, they've already experienced. And so he's speaking from a rhetorical position. He's trying to get his point across, right? But really it could be read and understood as since these things have happened in your life. But again, Paul's being rhetorical. So he's like, hey, I'm about to tell you something and the prerequisite for that is the following. So if there has ever been any encouragement in Christ, Hey, Philippian church, have you ever been encouraged in Christ? Have you ever been low, but you, God met you in that low place and he brought you out of that low place. Have you ever felt like you were in the darkness, but God brought you out of the light? Have you ever felt like giving up and calling it quits, but God encouraged you and he spoke to you and you didn't quit and you didn't give up and now you're here. Have you ever been encouraged in Christ? If you, have you ever had any comfort from love? And this isn't the love of God. This is the love of the church. Have you ever received comfort from the church? Have you ever been loved by the church? Have you ever had the, the family of God surround you, embrace you, support you, love you, care for you, bring food to you, be a shoulder to to cry on? Have you ever felt any comfort from the love of the church? Have you ever had any participation in the Spirit? This is have you have you had relationship with the Holy Spirit? Is God leading you? Is God guiding you? Has God spoken to you? Have you prayed to God? Have you talked to him? Has God spoken back to you? Have you been saved? Has God redeemed you and restored your life? And now are you in a process where God is making you more and more like him? Are you a little Jesus by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever had any affection, any sympathy from God and the faith community? If so, he's about to go on. He says "He says this, complete my joy. Basically he's saying, if so, I want you to do the following. Hey, it would make me really, really happy if you did the following. If you've experienced any of these things, again, he's being rhetorical. I know you have. Every Christian has been encouraged in Christ, has has received comfort from the church, is in partnership and relationship with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, hey, you know, this would be like, you bring so much joy to me. Remember this, Paul is their pastor. Paul is their spiritual father. He's like, I take so much pride in you. I find so much joy in you. But you know what would complete my joy? That would just have me over the moon is if you did the following. And so Paul here in in this first verse is, is giving us like the source of unity, like the beginning of unity. The, the, the origins, the reason for unity. And then he's about to unpack for us the image of unity. So this is why you should be unified. This is the reason for unity. And then he's about to give us what it looks like to be unified. So he says, do these things for me to complete my joy. Be of the same mind. Hey church, be of the same mind. And this word mind in the original Greek, it speaks to our purpose and our motivation. And of course, Paul, Covered this last week and he said, Our main purpose, our main motivation is the gospel. So he encourages the Philippian church who are actually experiencing disunity. They're not a united church, they're not all on the same page, they're not working together. But he says, Hey, I want you to have the same purpose, I want you to have the same motivation. He goes on and he says, And have the same love have the same love, share, be like your love should be mutual. Like you have to love each other. You cannot be in the same faith community, the same family of God and not love each other. In this word love, it's the Greek word agape and it's the love that is from God to us. And in antiquity, it is found in no other writings. It is reserved almost exclusively for scripture. Like this word is only found in scripture because it's reserved for God. It's God's word. It's how God loves us. It's a love without borders. It's a love without measure. It's a love that doesn't keep a list of right or wrongs. It's a love that doesn't have an on-off switch. It's not conditional. It's unconditional. It's how God loves us. And Paul calls us to love each other with the same love. Take this agape love and, and love each other with it. He goes on, he says, being in full accord. You guys need to be in full accord. This is a Greek word. It's, um, I'm going to butcher this, but it's simpsychos and it means to be united in soul. So it means to, and it's a musical word. It means to like live in harmony, to be harmonious. And I'm not, I don't understand anything about music. All I know about music is rose worship is incredible, but I leave all the music stuff up to them. But, but the idea is this, like all of us are different Right, Every note in a song when it comes to music is is different, but as you take these different components and you add them together, it sounds beautiful. And Paul's saying, hey, you need to live like that. You need to be united in soul. You need to be harmonious. So all of you are different, different backgrounds, different experiences, different viewpoints, different ideologies, different convictions, but you need to be in full accord, get along. And all your differences actually complement each other. And it doesn't sound bad, it ends up sounding beautiful. You don't have to be afraid of being different from the people around you. When you all sound the same, that's when it, or or when you are all the same, it doesn't sound great. But when you're all different, it creates a beautiful, beautiful sound. He says, be in in full accord. And then he repeats himself, but switches it up a little bit because before he said, be of same mind, but now he says, be of one mind. And one, again, speaks to this idea of being on a team. So different positions, but one team. And so all of us are a part of this. We're a part of a unit. We're a part of a team. We're a part of a crew. And we all, like the Bible describes, a body, different body parts, but one body, one purpose. He goes on and he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Remember, he's, he's giving us the image of unity. What does unity look like? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition. And here's the thing. In scripture, ambition is not bad. Ambition is good. But Paul tells us selfish ambition, not good. Do nothing from selfish ambition. So selfish ambition is, um, it's, it's not even just like wanting something for yourself, but it's like going against other people. It's creating rivalries, creating opposition, creating hostility against someone else. So it's not just that you only care for yourself, but it's that you don't care about the people that you have to step over and the people that you hurt in order for your ambition to be fulfilled. So it's this hostile kind of position that we take. Like no one else matters. It's just me. I got to fend for myself. I got to take care of myself. I got to figure it out because I'm the only one looking out for me. And so I just, I got this selfish ambition. Paul says, don't, don't. That's not how you're called to live. So Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. And he goes on. He says, but in humility, so seeing yourself accurately. So humility is not thinking less of yourself or thinking you're garbage, thinking you're trash. It's seeing yourself accurately, understanding and accepting how God has made you with the giftings and the blessings and the abilities, not belittling yourself, but seeing yourself accurately. But then he goes on and this is, this is radical. Like what Paul is about to say is radical, and it's a perspective that, that makes Christianity so unique and makes Christianity so special. Paul says this, he tells the Philippian church, and I, I, I just got to remind you, the Holy Spirit has inspired God's words. And so as Paul writes to the Philippian church, it's like God is writing to us. It is that God is writing to us. So God says to us, as Paul writes to the Philippian church, count others more significant than yourself. Count others, live your life, like we've talked about this even in this collection, about posturing your life away from yourself towards others. See value in people, intrinsic value in people. Don't value them because what they give you. Don't value them because of their output, what you can get from them. Just see them as more valuable than yourself. See them as children of God. See them as your brothers and sisters. See them as fellow human beings, but count them more significant than yourself. He goes on and he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. See, it's not bad to look to your own interests. It's not bad to want things. It's not bad to work for things. It's not bad to have ambition. It's not bad to want to succeed. He says, look, not only, but says what he's saying is it can't stop there. It can't start and end with you. It's got to go further than that. It's got to go past that. Remember, this is the image of unity. He says, not, don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Take care of others. What do other people need? Don't just worry about yourself being fed. Make sure to feed other people. Don't worry about just yourself succeeding. Help other people succeed. Don't worry about your own education and, 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 and just learning from your, for yourself. Help other people learn. Help other people grow. Help other people develop. Don't just look out for yourself. It's so clear. Take care of the people in your world. Take care of the people around you. Look out for their interests. Um, uh, I once heard Jay-Z, the the rapper Jay-Z, say, if you're rich, but everyone around you is poor, you're broke. Like you're missing something. If you got everything, but the people around you have nothing, you're missing it completely. Jay-Z was just quoting the Bible. Paul says it so clearly. Don't just take care of yourself. Don't just look after your own interests. Look to the interests of others. This is the image of unity. And Paul goes on and we're going to land pretty quickly here. And I want to spend a lot of time, uh, not a lot of time, but some time focusing on this next uh, chunk of scriptures here, these next few verses, because it's really important because Paul, before he said, hey, I want you to have the same mind and I want you to have one mind. I want you to have the same purpose, the same motivation, the same attitude. And I want you to have one purpose, one motivation, one attitude. And then in verse five, Paul says this, he says, have this mind, So he's about to tell us the mind that we're supposed to have, the purpose that we're supposed to have, the attitude and motivation that we need to have as followers of Jesus. He says, have this mind among yourselves. So it's like he's about to give us the example of unity. So he's given us the source, the reason for unity. He just gave us the image of unity. And now he's about to give us the example of unity. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind that I want you to have, this attitude, this purpose, this motivation, it's yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning every single follower, this is your inheritance. This is what you get. This is what I want to give you. I want to give you this purpose. Which means that no one else can have this purpose. Like no one outside the church can do what God is calling us to do. What Paul is about to tell the Philippian church. The local church is the hope of the world and no one else can be the hope of the world. It's on us. And so we've got to take responsibility. We've got to understand that it's on us to embody this attitude, this, this, this purpose that Paul is about to tell us because no one else is going to do it. No one else has the ability. If you're in Christ, you have it. If you're not in Christ, you don't. And he says this, have this, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And so what he's saying here is like Jesus was God and he could have walked around and like done things that God would do, but, but he didn't like, yeah, he did miracles, but he didn't exploit the fact that he was God. He didn't, caused people to like bow immediately as he walked by. He didn't rule over the people. Like if I was God, that's what I would do. If you were God, that's what you would do. So if a human became God, we would rule over the people. But Jesus didn't do that. It wasn't a thing to be grasped. He had access to all the power, but he emptied himself. He gave up power. Jesus gave up power. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Jesus took on the form of a servant, and the word servant in the Greek, the original Greek, the language that this text was written in, is this word doulos, and it's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 1 as he opens up this letter to the Philippian church, he calls himself a servant, a doulos of Jesus Christ, and so Paul was a servant because Jesus was a servant. He goes on, he says, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is this? This is the ultimate act of service. This is Jesus being the ultimate servant. This is the ultimate act of sacrifice. He died on the cross. He gave up his life. He cared for um, people so much and loved people so well and was such a servant that he gave his very life to serve people. He was obedient to the point of death. But here's where I want to land. As we're talking about unity, and unity being this thing that's actually gonna point people to Jesus. And Jesus is the answer to our sick, disease, and sin-filled world, our afflicted world. Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the only thing that can change our world. And we point people to Jesus by being unified, and we have the key to unity right here. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus took on the form of a servant. The key to unity is service. To be unified is to be a servant. I mean, even think about it this way. Jesus brought God and humanity together. He united humanity to God. He reconciled and restored. He made God and people one, where we were divided and we were two. By what Jesus did on the cross, which was the greatest act of service, he was able to bring unity. So Jesus created unity out of service, out of being a servant. And as followers of Jesus, we are called as little Jesuses to be what Jesus was. And so as Jesus lived his life in such a way that he was a servant and it brought unity, we have this incredible invitation to partner with him and be servants to bring unity to our world. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, he said of himself, he says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And you know what? You want to know why there's so much disunity in the world right now? It's because everyone wants to be served. Everyone wants to be the ruler. Everyone wants everyone else to bow down to them. Do what I want. Give me what I want. Give me what I need. I don't want to serve you. You serve me. And we have this arrogance and this attitude amongst us as a, as a society that none of us want to serve the people around us. And when we start Serving ourselves and seeking for other people to serve us, that's when disunity begins to form. And that's exactly why we are where we are at as a society. And so if we want to be unified and point people to Jesus, we have to serve. Unity is a result of taking the posture of a humble servant. Unity is a result of taking the posture of a humble servant. And here's why. Because when I seek to serve you, I exist to see you win. And I will do everything in my power to see you win. I will do everything in my power to see you succeed. I will take care of you. I will care for you. I will lift you when you need to be lifted. I will be there when you need me to be there because I am here and I exist to serve you. Where disunity begins to form is when, when I start serving myself, I do everything in my power to see myself win. And I will step on toes. I will hold people down. I will make sure that I win at any cost. And so all of a sudden, you become my enemy. If you're in my career field and we're going for a, a promotion together, you're my enemy. I don't want to see you win. I, I want to win. And so it begins to form disunity. We start creating enemies. And our world is so fragmented right now and so torn apart right now. We don't need any more enemies. And so what we need to do, and, I, and this is the word for our church today, is that we would take on the posture of a humble servant and we would no longer exist for ourselves. This is is a result of our lives being impacted by the gospel, that we would no longer live for ourselves. We would start looking outward and we would start serving people. But get this, it's not just enough to serve people who think like us, who look like us, who act like us, who believe the same thing as us. Jesus himself said, "If you love those who love you, there's your reward. But if you what would it look like for you to love those who don't love you? When that happens, your reward is in heaven." And so, what does it look like to love people who don't love you? What does it look like for us to begin being servants who serve those who don't serve us? John 3:16. The most famous scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave, he served, but he loved the world. What is the world? The world is everyone, everyone who would accept and reject him. So he served those who would accept and reject him. He served everyone, whether they agreed with him or not. We see this, Jesus, when he was alive on earth doing ministry, He wanted to paint a picture of what it looked like for his disciples to be servants. So again, Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And in the most clear and tangible way of showing his disciples, his followers, what it looked like to be a servant, he got on the ground and he grabbed a basin of water and he started to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, this doesn't translate to our culture. The Bible is not telling us to go around and wash people's feet. But the idea is this. Serving people is uncomfortable. Serving people requires sacrifice. Serving people requires you to get on your knees and get your hands dirty. It requires something. It costs something. That's the whole point. And you know what I find remarkable? You know who was at that moment when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples? You know who was there? Judas. Judas, the man who would betray Jesus. Judas, the man who would become an enemy of God. Judas, the guy who didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't think he was the Messiah. He thought it was all a sham. So he betrayed him. And Jesus knew this would happen. They were by definition enemies. They were opposing. They were in conflict. And yet what does Jesus do? He washes his feet. He serves him. And guess who was at the Last Supper when Jesus surrounded himself with his closest friends for his very last meal on earth and he led the first ever communion. Who got to break bread and and partake in the cup with Jesus? Judas. Judas took the bread and he took the cup. He was there. Even though he was an enemy, even though he didn't see eye to eye, even though he didn't believe in Jesus. And so it's not enough to just serve those who serve us. It's not enough to serve those who are on the same page. But we are called to go out of our way, to not just look to our own interests, but the interests of others and to serve everyone. And as we serve people, as we look past their political persuasion, as we look past the person who they voted for, as we look past what their perspective on vaccines or masks is, as we look past their parenting style, as we look past whatever, and we just humbly come with this posture of a servant and say, how can I serve you? I know we don't see eye to eye. I know we have all these disagreements, but I'm just here to serve you. All of a sudden, the things on the outside don't matter. And all that matters is that we are children of God. What's crazy to me is the infighting and the disunity that exists in the church. I mean, this is why Paul is writing this in the first place. But we stand at the the precipice We have a moment on our hands where we have to decide who we're going to be as a church. Here's why unity matters so much in the church. Here's why unity points people to Jesus. Because as people look from the outside in, and they see us fighting and arguing and bickering and slandering each other and speaking ill of each other. You know what non-Christians think? People who don't follow Jesus, they're like, why would I want that? Why would I follow a God who his message doesn't work? Why would I give my life to this Jesus and invest my life into building a kingdom that doesn't work? They can't even get along with each other. They can't even agree on simple matters. They can't even look past their differences to accomplish something together. Why would I want that? But in in the midst of a divided world, in the midst of polarization in the midst of separation in the midst of categories and labels and slander and gossip and hatred and all of these things that are happening if we can stand united as a church they're going to look at the church and they're going to say i don't understand these people are so different why are they in the same room together worshiping these people are so different i don't understand why are they giving to the same cause these people are so different i don't understand why they're in the same connect group doing life together that person supports this politician that person supports that politician that person believes this, that person believes this, but here they are. I just saw them hug. Oh my, what is happening? And people begin thinking, maybe there is something to Jesus. Maybe it wasn't just a tale. Maybe it isn't just a story, but maybe there's real power behind this message that they call the gospel. The result, Paul begins to, he goes on and he actually gives us the result, the result of unity. He says this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. And I think there's a lesson for that for us in that as we humble ourselves and we don't seek to climb the ladder and we don't seek power and gain and all of that stuff. God will just give it to us. As you seek to serve, God will give you the things that you need. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory to the glory of God our Father. You know what the result of unity is? And we've already covered this. It's that every knee would bow. It's that every tongue would confess. It's that God would receive glory. It's that people would turn their hearts to him because the gospel really works. This is how we change the world. As a society, as a culture, we are so set on changing the world. And we want to do that through, through laws and, and through legislation. And you know what? That's great because I, I believe that our laws should reflect the kingdom of heaven. But what we're doing as a culture is we're taking the ethics and the morals and the standards of the kingdom of heaven and we're bypassing the king. And what we end up with is a counterfeit kingdom, a set of rules and regulations that doesn't work. Laws cannot save humanity, no matter how hard we try. It's a great start, but we see in the Old Testament, the law cannot save you. You know what can save humanity? Jesus. He is the, again, He is the answer. He is the solution. He is the cure. He is our great hope. And until we can see the hearts of men and women all over the world turn to Jesus, we will never see the world heal. We will never see the world become better. So we have to do everything in our power to point people to Jesus so he can get a hold of their hearts, so he can get a hold of their lives. And as people bow their knees, as people confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord our world is going to change and it will begin to reflect the priorities and the values and the heart and the essence of God. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven simply because He has men and women who serve Him and live for Him because He died for them. That's how we change the world. So yes, we're going to protest. Yes, we're going to vote. Yes, we're going to do all of the things. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. But... If we really want to change the world, here's what we need to do. Submit to the will of the Father, which is that we would be servants of the people who are like us and those who aren't. And that will create unity, which points people to Jesus. They will believe that he has been sent by God. That's how we change the world. That's our mission. That's our mandate. And that's what Rose Church is all about. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to live in unity. We're going to point people to Jesus. Hey, we're going to wrap up, but... If you're here and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you have never, as the scripture said, bowed your knee and confessed that Jesus is Lord, but but God has been stirring maybe today or maybe just recently through a number of events. I mean, you're here for a reason. I, I don't believe you're here by accident. But if you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe you have at one point, but you walked away, well, today is a great day to come home. Today is a great day to come home. I got this sign behind me. It says, welcome home. And today, I would love to welcome you home. And so the way you come home, it's it's really just a moment between you and God. It's a prayer. It's you talking to God. It's you confessing your sin, the error in your ways, the fact that you have been rebellious to God and saying, God, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to follow you. I want to do your will. Teach me what that looks like. And in a moment, God will change your life. And then over the course of the rest of your life, God will surround you with people and he will speak to you and he will show you what it means to build his kingdom. So you can do that in your own way, in your own heart, um, e- even right now. And if you do make that decision, uh, if you pray that prayer, there's a number on the screen right now. And if you text the word Jesus to that number, it's actually going to link you to a number of resources and connect you with our team. So we can uh, just encourage you and help you in your journey as you follow Jesus. But, um, welcome home. <laughs> I'm So excited for you when we stand in celebration with you and what God is doing in your life. And, um, Right now, we're just going to go to worship and spend some time praising our God. And um, I want to let you know, church, I love you and I'm grateful for you. And as we leave this place, let's strive to live in harmony and unity and be one with each other so that people will look at us and they'll see Jesus and believe that he has been sent by God. And as a church, we'll be able to change the world. So have fun worshiping. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you soon. God bless you.